Welcome, SGO listeners. This is a continuation of our podcast from the SGO Task Force on assisting members on oral board preparation and the certification process. My name is Scott Richard, and I'm a geo-oncologist in the Philadelphia area. And along with my co-chair on this task force, Tracy Lynn Hall, I'm proud to bring you this podcast today, which is our fourth in a series of six podcasts. Today, we will be focusing on our first disease-specific t- site topic. Our topic today is ovarian, fallopian tube, and perineal cancer. I'm honored today to be joined by two of my colleagues on the task force. Hi, I'm Anna Beavis. I'm a GYN oncologist at Johns Hopkins. And hi, I'm Bob Neff. I'm a GYN oncologist with TriHealth Cancer Institute in Cincinnati, Ohio. If you haven't already, I would invite you to visit our other three podcasts. We have one on caseless preparation, another on radiation oncology, and our latest, which was just published recently, is on ICU management and consideration for these patients. These are all available on our SGO website, as well as um, other platforms where you would receive podcasts. We're also very excited to announce that uh, we have partnered with ABOG for live sessions at the SGO 2023 annual meeting. Friday, we will have a session where a representative from ABOG will actually be available to discuss logistics for the examination, as well as how the scoring process is done. There will also then be time to ask questions of this ABOG uh, representative. During the remainder of the annual meeting, we have daily sunrise sessions where participants will meet in small groups with our task force facilitators. This will be a chance to discuss high-yield topics, hypothetical cases, and other material that you may have questions on. Currently, the registration process for the annual meeting is open, and I would like you to go to the website and register for the annual meeting if you haven't yet. There, you'll be able to see specifically these sessions and register for each one, and we invite you to do that for sure. As I mentioned earlier, we are going to uh, focus this podcast today on ovarian, fallopian tube, and perineal cancers. Topics we'll look at are things like surgical considerations, chemotherapy, and genetic testing. Within each of these topics, we're going to highlight some key resources, which Bob and Anna found useful in their study process when they took the test. To get things started, I'd just like to generally ask both you, Anna and Bob, how did you study for the exam? So as far as finding resources to study with, for me, I know that I can't just learn in one way. And I also know I'm a very visual learner. So I tried to find resources that were both written or videos or audio. And when I was very tired of reading over and over again. You know, I could listen to a podcast on my way to work. And when I was tired of listening, you could read. So having a nice diverse set of resources in different, having a diverse set of resources with different modalities was really important for me. I agree with that. And I think for me, how I started was I attempted to figure out where the deficiencies in my knowledge were. So Prior to about six months out from the boards, I took time to write down with each disease site all of the big topics that I wanted to make sure I had adequate knowledge of, and then tried to, as best I can, remember trials that I thought would be relevant. And then I started reviewing those. And that was kind of my foundation before I started in on each disease site. And then the mix of options available that we're going to discuss here coming up I think really helped to solidify my knowledge going into the boards. Excellent. Anna, what role does your caseless play in preparing for your ovarian cancer component of the oral boards? We had this whole podcast on caseless preparation and all the factors that go into it. And I think we spent all this time preparing these caseless, but you know, what's important from my caseless when it comes to the day of the examination? It's a good question. And I really enjoyed that podcast. I think it was very, it would have been a great resource. Um, and so I'm glad we can provide that 
to people now. But really, I think for me, the first thing I did was go through my ovary cancer section and see how did I treat patients? So what did I do for a stage three versus a stage four? Who did I give new adjuvant to versus who did I do a primary surgical debulking on? What kind of genetic testing was I ordering? And how did that change what maintenance therapy I recommended? And then really trying to look to see any differences between patients and being able to explain why. I know they mentioned in the podcast, leaving things vague is a strategy that some people use, such as saying adjuvant chemotherapy instead of the exact drugs. And I think that's a great strategy, but you do need to be able to discuss exactly what drugs you end up recommending. And I think just to kind of piggyback on that, because you mentioned looking for inconsistencies and having someone review your case list. I think that is crucial because those are ways that you can find your knowledge gaps. One of the strategies, I did not personally use this, but one of the strategies that a few in my study group used was grouping cases together based on similarities. So when they put their case list together, numbers one through five had neoadjuvant chemotherapy in common. And maybe numbers six, seven, and eight had bowel resections involved. And I think for certain people that helps with grouping and memorizing parts of the list so that you can easily go back during an exam and kind of recollect what it is that you wanted to talk about. So I think that's another interesting strategy that some people could consider with their case lists. I think that's great advice. Definitely something to consider. So for the purposes uh, at the first part of this podcast, I think we'll focus on more common epithelial ovarian cancer discussions. And then we'll spend a little bit of time at the end talking more, uh, more about the rare ovarian cancer subtypes. But before we get started, were there any resources that you looked at specifically when it came to the common epithelial ovarian cancers in, in terms of studying for the boards? I think there's almost so many resources that can be overwhelming, which is why this podcast, I think, will be very helpful. The SGO Connect Ed does have a core fellow lecture series with seven core lectures on ovarian cancer that is a nice foundation. And then we're going to highlight some other more specific resources during the remainder of the podcast. Great. Bob, I think one of the big elephants in the room when it comes to case list preparation and your discussion for ovarian cancers is the role of primary debulking surgery versus neoadjuvant chemotherapy. What are your thoughts on this topic and what's important to know in terms of the oral examination? It is a huge question because this has been such a change in terms of practice for all of us in the last 10 years or so. And you really have to know the data on neoadjuvant versus primary surgery and the trials that can help support decision-making. And I was looking back on my case list and kind of thinking about how I conceptualized this. One of the big resources that I went to was the ASCO SGO clinical practice guideline on neoadjuvant chemotherapy, because it is so detailed in terms of why a GYN oncologist needs to be an important factor for evaluating patients with ovary cancer. What are the specific things that you can do, whether or not it's imaging-based or symptom-based or comorbidity-based or even laparoscopic evaluation-based in terms of deciding who should go for a primary debulking or neoadjuvant chemotherapy. So that is a major resource, I think, for this question on neoadjuvant versus primary when people are trying to conceptualize and come up with their answers. For me, this was one of the few things that I wrote out and just had an answer that I wanted to make sure was really clear in my mind before I took the board. So I think that's one key tip that people can use is to say, just write out what you want to say. It doesn't have to be completely memorized, but I think that allows you to really 
put together all of the data quickly and succinctly before you take your boards. There was another resource I think that I found on the GYO EDU website. One of the lectures was primary management of ovary cancer. And again, just went through all the data on neoadjuvant chemotherapy versus primary surgery. And also, I think kind of touched on the historical aspects of what constitutes the best outcome for primary surgery. Is it complete cytoreduction? Is it optimal cytoreduction? Where did that history come from? Because I do think it's important to understand what we thought was great then and what we think is great now. And I think there's two other things that are important from a surgery standpoint of ovary cancer that are worth mentioning. Certainly, this has become a hot topic, ERAS, over the last five to 10 years as well, at least in Gynonc, that is, and understanding the different principles that go into perioperative management, both before and after surgery. One of the resources that I used, which I thought was really great, it was a review article in Gynonc in 2016 that just looked at the impact of ERAS programs in GYN oncology surgery. So I would really push people towards that. There's also a new podcast that was also recently put out by the SGO ERAS subcommittee looking at key concepts for ERAS. So that would be a nice little easy review. And then finally, I think for surgery, we would be remiss not to mention having a basic understanding of how to do some of the more advanced procedures that we do, bowel resections, splenectomies, diaphragm resections. You have to be able to talk through those if those are on your boards list. And I think the SGO Connected has a couple of videos that are really great to help kind of conceptualize that. And then I think both Anna and I mutually found these articles helpful, but dating back a ways in Gynonc, there were just specific articles just on how do you do certain procedures, low anterior resection, splenectomy, diaphragm resection. And I believe there was one by Siobhan Kehoe and Gynonc in 2008 that kind of went through a few of these upper abdominal surgical procedures that was really, really great in terms of being able to verbalize things for the boards. That's amazing. Some of those historical papers are you know, just as important now, 14, 15 years later as they were at the time when they were written. So I think that's a great resource. And just quickly, Bob, for the purpose of your case list, were you a all primary debulking surgery or all neoadjuvant chemotherapy kind of person, or did you have a mix of both? I definitely had a mix of both. I know we haven't really talked about it because we were going to mention it, I think, a little bit in the chemo, but I had a couple high pecs. So I think we'll get into that a little bit as well. But I had a mix of both. And you, did you have a mix of both or were you in all? I definitely had a mix of both. And I spent some time going through my case list with one of my partners, making sure I could justify in a succinct and eloquent way why I made those decisions for each patient. I think that that's important. Great. Anna, while we're kind of uh, moving forward here, one of the things I think that we talked about a little bit beforehand was chemotherapy. But in terms of adjuvant or even neoadjuvant chemotherapy, what are some of the topics I should be prepared to discuss if I'm a candidate on my exam day? So I think it's really important to know what you do and why you do it. There's a lot of different ways that are NCCN approved to give adjuvant chemo after surgery or to give neoadjuvant chemo first. For example, weekly versus Q3 weeks versus IVIP versus including HIPEC. And I think we don't have an exact right answer for this, and that's okay. As a board examinee, I think the most important thing is that you can talk through what you do and why you do it and the data that supports it. And for me, because there have been so many studies on this and 
it's been decades that we're trying to answer this question, really going through the NCCN ovarian cancer discussion section, both on chemotherapy choice, as well as the use of neoadjuvant chemotherapy, I found very helpful because it gives you this overview of kind of where we've come from and where we are now. And then as an examinee and as a practicing GYN oncologist, you just have to decide how you interpret the data and whether or not you're still a believer in IVIP or whether you're back to Q3 week IV chemo. With regards to chemotherapy, this is another big topic that can come up anywhere throughout the board exam. And it's really important to understand both the basic information about chemotherapy, such as the mechanism of action, the indication, the doses, what are the side effects. And for this test, it's a bit more clinically oriented. So how are you going to react to side effects and toxicities? The SGO Connect Ed has these chemotherapy and targeted therapy flashcards that are really useful references for that. They're really succinct, but they'll include things like the references for the data that supports the use of that drug for the indications that it's approved for, and then kind of tidbits on managing toxicities and common toxicities. So I think that's a really good resource. And you should really know every drug that's on your list, you should really know in detail and be able to discuss. The other part is knowing what pre-medications to give and how to manage chemotherapy complications. So here's where actually I think the NCCN has three excellent resources. Their anti-emesis guidelines, their hematopoietic growth factor guidelines, and then prevention and treatment of cancer-related infections. These are all under NCCN supportive care guidelines, and they take you through all of the different scenarios you could imagine. For example, who do you give GCSF to upfront? Who do you give it to after a complication? How do you manage a neutropenic fever? What is a neutropenic fever? Who can do it outpatient? Who can be managed inpatient? And so I would really encourage, I would really encourage the examinees to read through these guidelines, particularly for any complication from chemotherapy they have on their list. Excellent. And Bob, I think you mentioned earlier HIPAC. If I'm an examinee, what should I be able to to discuss about HIPAC. If I don't use it in my practice, is it going to be fair game on the boards or should I only be prepared to talk about it if that's something that I've done in my practice? I would suspect it would be mostly if it's done in your practice and you have it on your case list because there really has just been the one more definitive trial and it is certainly not widespread to this point. I think that if you do have it on your case list, there are important things to remember. Number one, how do you do it? You can't just say, oh, I bring in one of our surgical oncologists and they set it up for me and then we do it. I think you really have to have an understanding of how the setup is, what the chemo is, how it's given and the complications from it, in addition to why you're doing it in terms of why you think it's better for patients. Excellent. Thanks. Maintenance therapy. It seems to be a huge topic currently. Um, in terms for the oral boards, what would I as an examinee need to know and be prepared to discuss with the examiners on the day of the test. This is going to be a huge topic too going forward, just as the landscape for PARP inhibitors is continually changing. I think first and foremost, we have to bring in the genetic testing portion here and, and understanding why we are doing genetic testing for all patients, both germline and somatic, I think are really important. The ASCO guideline on germline somatic tumor testing for ovary cancer is an excellent resource 
that looks at why we're doing this. One interesting part I think that that is mentioned in there is that they are not specifically recommending homologous recombination deficiency testing, which I think is more in vogue now as the landscape changes for PARP inhibitors. So I think supplementing that resource with updated articles would be helpful. But getting into the genetic testing a little bit, I think here, this is really where the rubber meets the road in terms of ovary cancer. In terms of actual management of the PARPs, there's an Another great ASCO guideline that just recently came out looking at PARP inhibitors and management of ovary cancer. It reviews all of the recent clinical trial data, helps make recommendations and management for toxicities. So that I would really steer examinees towards because, again, I think it's just going to be crucial to make sure you have an understanding of why you're doing something and be able to verbalize it. And again, this might be one of those things that you decide to write out a little blurb and that just becomes your answer for for why you're doing PARP inhibitors. A couple other, I think, resources worth mentioning. There are a couple good GYO EDU lectures on PARP inhibitors, as well as some of the evidence behind PARP inhibitors. And the two are called PARP inhibitors and ovary cancer and evidence-based ovary two. I found both of those lectures extremely helpful when I was studying. And then just knowing the indications. You don't want to, on your board, say something that no longer is FDA approved. I think that's going to be crucial coming up and it could certainly be impactful for this year's examinees. And I got to be honest, I think the bigger question nowadays is how to like weave back in a vast and, and I, I don't know what you're doing nowadays, but what, what's your thought on how to bring up a Vastin in this landscape? That's a great question. I don't think similar to some of the other things we've discussed, there's no exact right answer on this. And I actually found during studying for my boards and really going deep into the randomized trials that looked at this, that's when I was able to really formally make my decision about how I would approach patients um, and who would get Avastin versus who I would recommend a PARP versus who would maybe not get maintenance therapy. And so just reading those Sentinel articles, the GOG 218 and ICON 7, and then some of the sub or ancillary analyses that were done afterwards, I found very helpful. And then the GYO EDU lecture on evidence-based ovary again was helpful on this. Regarding toxicities, particularly hypertension, that's one that everyone needs to know how to manage with Avastin. There's a 2018 Gynonc article um, by Camille Gunderson, and it's called Management of Toxicities in Common Targeted Therapies for GYN cancers. Excellent resource for just the basic approach to all of these very common toxicities. So I would put a plug in for that for anyone who's giving any Avastin. Most caselists are prepared when you're a young new physician, but I think management of recurrent ovarian cancer is definitely something that an examiner could potentially weave in with any primary ovarian cancer that we present. So in terms of that, if you had to give advice to me as an examinee, what would you recommend that I do in preparation for a discussion about recurrent ovarian cancer? So I think two of the timely discussion pieces here, just to be quick, would be having an understanding of the newest data on secondary surgical debulking. Whether or not that's a part of your practice, I think it is very valuable to understand the differences between some of the seminal trials for secondary debulking, what were the indications, who was able to be on trial, and then using that again as a way maybe to come up with that stock answer for you when you're looking through your case list and saying, okay, 
maybe what if this patient was two years out, what would I do? So I think reviewing those three or four trials to know what the most recent data is for surgery in the recurrent setting, because I think that's a big topic. The second topic, I think, again, is recurrent maintenance treatment, because that's really where we started with the PARP inhibitors was in the recurrent setting and understanding when you might give a PARP inhibitor in the recurrent setting if they haven't had one already and why. Because again, this is where some of these indications are changing and you don't want somebody to be like, well, is that FDA approved? Because again, that this is what's changing. And I think this is what's going to be really timely for this year's examinees. I think going in just briefly on some of the other chemo questions and, and ideas of in recurrent ovary cancer, just reviewing some of the seminal articles on platinum sensitive and platinum resistant is probably key. I think it's really hard because it's such a gray area when we get into the recurrent setting, especially platinum resistant. But I do think, and it should be plugged, that you as an examinee don't want to forget the idea of offering clinical trial, because I think that is something that when you're going through and trying to verbalize things in the recurrent setting, you really want to make sure that you are plugging that because that is best care per NCCN guidelines. In terms of our rare subtypes of ovarian cancer, what resources would you recommend that we review? Rare ovary is obviously rarely seen. And so um, you may not have any of these on your case list. You may have only a few. So I think it's worth reviewing all of them to have at least a general understanding and be able to eloquently state what you would do for each. I really liked the GYOEDU lecture, ovarian cancer, rare tumors, and then a separate lecture on GYOEDU as well, which was mucinous ovarian cancer. And those two were really fabulous resources for a foundation in discussing rare ovarian tumors. I think maybe just another quick plug for that rare ovary would be pathology review. And again, I think also on that GYU EDU uh, lecture, there's a nice pathology, a quick pathology review with a pathologist on there that goes Mm -hmm. through some of these rare histologies that I think would be excellent to just have a mental picture in your head of what they look like under the microscope. This has been an amazing resource discussion that you guys have given our candidates. And um, I really appreciate that. But really quickly, are there any other resources you would recommend for candidates to look at? I was presenting at SGO the year that I was also taking the test. And I actually was a little bit intimidated that it was going to be overwhelming and I was going to need to spend more time studying than actually being at the conference. But I actually found so many resources within the SGO conference that were so helpful. The debates, the tumor board, and almost all of day one covers a lot of the topics that are controversial and will definitely bring you up to date on the FDA indications and things like that. So I'm going to put a big plug in for attending SGO, particularly that first day where lots of topics are reviewed. I think that when you know thinking about any other resources, I think it would be imperative to mention that group learning, I think for board preparation is essential. Anna and I both felt similarly on this, that we both had our small study groups because what it allows you to do is it allows you, number one, to split up topics and not have to do all of the review digs on your own, but use other people's knowledge and time to help you with that. And then it also allows you to hear other people verbalize answers to questions that you guys might be doing back and forth between each other on why you do certain things from your case list. So big, big plug for group learning and group studying. This has been amazing. And I really appreciate this discussion, both from you and on Bob and the advice that you have given us today. 
I again want our listeners to check out the three other podcasts that are currently available and look for two additional podcasts that should be available in January. One will be on endometrial cancer and the other one will be on cervix and vulvar cancer. And finally, on behalf of the SEO Task Force on Board board Certification, I'm Scott Richard, and I want to thank you for your interest and listening to our podcast today. We look forward to seeing you in Tampa for the SGO Annual Meeting 2023. But in the meantime, I want to wish everyone happy board studying. The information presented is that of the contributing faculty and presenters and does not necessarily represent the views of the Society of Gynecologic Oncology or any named company or organization providing financial support. Specific therapies discussed may not be approved and or specified for use as indicated by the faculty or presenters. If you like what you heard today, please let us know by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and hitting the follow button wherever you're listening. If you have suggestions for future SGO On The Go podcasts, please email us directly at education at sgo.org.